0: You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives. He sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You will say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying that colt? (laughs) And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. in the crowd, said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we ask that as we jump into your word, that you would open up our eyes that You would open our ears, that You would soften our hearts by Your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that by Your Spirit and through Your Word this morning, You would be changing us and shaping us, and specifically that You would be softening our hearts in such a way that we would see Jesus as our King. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. You know, Jerusalem during this time was a, maybe not a unique place, but it was like many other places under the rule of the Roman government. And the people that lived in Jerusalem were a people that were without a king. They had their own little um, area within the Roman kingdom a special allowance given to them by the emperor of Rome. And yet they weren't free in there. They were kind of slaves in their own country, slaves in their own city to a Roman overlord. And I'm sure that you have all seen in movies or in books a kingdom that is without its king. What usually happens? Well, Symbolically, what always happens is, you know, the trees are dead, uh, the wildlife has run away, uh, there's there's drought and there's famine. Um, you'll see that uh, the the people are taken advantage of. There's bandits everywhere. Things are falling to pieces. Evil is reigning in the kingdom when the king is missing. You could think about the Lion King, sure. You could think about Lord of the Rings. All of these are great examples of this. And honestly, it wasn't far off from what was taking place in Jerusalem at this time. There were religious and political parties vying for position. There were uh, conservatives and liberals hating on one another. Law keepers and, and progressive people known as Sadducees all trying to get their little part of the kingdom and trying to bring back the kingdom for God's people. Make it their place again. What none of them really wanted though, I mean surely they did not want the emperor of Rome to rule over them. They didn't need this Pilate fellow or this Herod guy to rule over them. And yet, did they really want a king to come? and set everything right? Or, were they totally satisfied with their little backstabbings and infightings and political assassinations? Something tells me that like all of us, God's people during this time were pretty satisfied with who they were and where they were at. Happy to, as C.S. Lewis would say, to be playing in the mud when there was a beach holiday that was waiting for us. And this morning, uh, it might seem odd that we would use a text that was typically, that is typically reserved for Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, before Resurrection Sunday, for an Advent sermon. And yet, this is one of the things I love about Advent. Unlike the rest of the year where we kind of go according to a timeline, Advent is like time travel. In fact, throughout the course of our next couple of weeks, we're going to be traveling backward in time while looking forward in time. And why is this? Um, Well, one of the reasons for this is that God is outside of time. And the things that he does and the ways that he acts in the world don't always make sense to us. And so what we're attempting to do anyway is look at the coming of our King little by little and piece by piece, and more specifically, the proclamation of our King's arrival during this season of Advent, while we also wait for His return. Here's our big idea for this morning. Jesus is King over everything, and the King is coming. Jesus is king over everything, and the king is coming. Our passage starts off by saying, and when he had said these things. Now, there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, Specifically in Luke's gospel, we get a parable about these uh, pieces of silver and um, the way that a landowner gives out pieces of silver and wants his servants to uh, basically go out and do work with this money. But one of the servants goes out and he he stashes it in the ground and he says, Lord, I knew that you were a hard Lord and I did not want you to come back and find me with less silver than what you gave to me and and what does this uh this lord of this land say he says take the the silver piece from him and give it to the one that has 10 silver pieces and they said to him lord he has 10 minas the silver piece and then this lord of the land said i tell you that to everyone who has more will be given but from the one who has not, even that will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's a hard word and a hard parable coming from Jesus. And it's after that, after that hard word, that now Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and riding on this this colt, this um, foal, this young animal, he's going to be declaring himself as king. A couple of oddities about the text this morning that bring us to our big idea. Why are we saying that Jesus is king of everything? Uh, Two reasons here. There's a little bit of a translation issue here that is actually quite funny. It's translated for us in a way to make it make sense. And that is when Jesus says, say that the Lord has need of it. Uh, And the assumption is just the Lord of what? What is Jesus talking about? Well, in the original language here, what Jesus is saying is the Lord of the donkey has need of the donkey. The Lord of the colt has need of the colt. And so, when Jesus says, if anyone asks you why you're untying it, you should say, well, the Lord of this animal has need of it. Which is a very odd thing to say. Especially when you're doing some grand theft donkey stealing, right? Some grand theft colt theft. When you're when you're um when you're going to someone's house and taking an animal that is is theirs and saying to them the Lord of this animal has need of this animal that's odd right? and in this text we don't get the image of the palm branches and we don't get the hosannas we don't get any of that stuff instead what we get here at the end of this text. Is everyone praising him? They're laying their jackets on the ground. They're laying their jerseys on the ground. And then some of the Pharisees come up and say, Teacher, you need to set your people straight. You need to rebuke them and tell them what's what. Because you're going to get us all in a whole bunch of trouble here. We are a land without a king. And you cannot just come in here and start declaring that the king has arrived. Because as soon as the king has arrived, you're going to start giving hope to people. You're going to start giving hope to people that maybe, just maybe, all the rights are going to be made, all the wrongs are going to be made right, rather. You're going to be giving hope to people that uh, the land is going to flourish again. And our oppressors will no longer be taxing us more than what they're supposed to. Jesus, please, go and tell your disciples what's what. And Jesus' response I tell you, if these, my disciples, were silent, then the very stones would cry out. This is also an odd phrase, right? We see this a couple of different places. Um, You can think back to Cain and Abel. What happens when Abel's blood hits the ground? The earth itself was crying out. We hear Paul talk about the whole earth in in labor pains, waiting for Christ to make all things new again. In the prophets, we often read about how... um, enemies of God's people, the Chaldeans in particular came and they, they stole parts of the temple and parts of people's homes and they carried these nice cut stone back to their house and made them their stones. And it was said that those rocks were crying out as well. But here Jesus insinuates that here, these people are calling me king. They're saying to me, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They know exactly who I am. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They know the right thing to say. They know the good confession to make right here, right now. And if they didn't do that, even these rocks would be intelligent enough to know who their Lord is. So between a donkey and some rocks, Jesus is claiming, I am the King, I am the Lord over all of this. Now what does Jesus say to the Pharisees? Does He say like the parable before, but as for these enemies of Mine who did not want Me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before Me. No, that's not what Jesus says. That's not the kind of King that He is. And yet, that judgment still holds true. Jesus knows what's at stake for these Pharisees. And so, He's saying to them one more time, look, if you don't see Me for who I am right now, if you cannot declare Me as King, then these rocks are going to do it for you. And one day, These rocks are going to keep on crying out and crying out as if in labor pains until I make all things new. And even these rocks are redeemed. Even that donkey, that colt over there will be redeemed because they know who their Lord and their King is. And you should see it as well. Here during the season of Advent, um, it's a good confession for us to make that Jesus is King over everything. And this week, in this simple and short text, as we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem, declaring His kingship, it's also a good reminder to us that as we read last week, to stay watchful and to wait with patience and diligence as well. To be reminded of the fact that our King is actually present with us, which is something that we'll celebrate here in a couple of moments in the Lord's Supper. Where is God's kingdom? This is something we've talked about often. God's kingdom is wherever the King is at. Here on this day, Jesus was marching into Jerusalem, declaring victory, because this is what a king did. He would ride into the city to adoration and praise as people declared him their king because of the victory that's been won. And yet it seems odd, doesn't it? What victory has been won? If we were to read this text from John's Gospel, we would see that just before this is when Jesus raised His friend Lazarus from the dead. And the evidence has been given to Jesus' disciples that something strange is going on here. And it seems as though strange things are going to keep happening. As Jesus marches into the, the city on this day, As he rides into the city, he's declaring himself as king. And he's declaring himself as victorious over Satan, sin, death, and hell. And he's claiming himself as a victory for you. And so, Jesus is king over everything. And right here, right now, this morning, as a church, as we gather, we know that Jesus promises to be present with us. And so in some small way, uh, His kingdom is present here as well. And so we can also say together, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.